Hello there, this is Guru talking to you about Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain how. First off, it is absolutely free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more providers. You can also make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hello there, this is Guru talking to you about anchor.fm. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First off, it's completely free. Second, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will also distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast as well with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hello, everybody. And welcome to the Ballistic Podcast, live from San Jose, California. I'm your co-host, Guru Ramprakash. Uh, I'm ready to talk about the second round of the playoffs with you guys and uh, have some great discussion. And along with me to have that discussion is my co-host from all the way in Monterey, California, Vikram Kant. Vikram, how are you doing on this Monday evening? Dude, I'm thrilled to talk about the second round of the playoffs. Uh, it's been everything that has been billed much better than the uh, than the first round. Uh, the drama has been excellent. There's a lot of storylines from a lot of these games and a lot of uh, just a lot of drama, and that's exciting for us. Yeah, and it's really interesting because as the playoffs go on, we we not only get the on the court stories, but the off off the court stories as well. Just because you know there's there's a day of gap between you know these games, and um, the media likes to have uh, things to talk about, uh, things to write about, and we we get a lot of content on these days. So it's definitely very interesting watching these teams battle battle it out on the court, but watching the off the court dynamic is interesting as well, right, Vikram? Absolutely. The off the court dynamic stuff is uh, is some of the most interesting, actually. Yeah, and that's pretty much what the what the NBA is built on. And uh, that's what gets people's eyes and ears open. So uh, without further ado, we basically want to talk about these uh, four second round series that are that are going on in the NBA right now. both in the East and the West. We're going to start off in the East, actually, and then move over to the West. Uh, so we're going to go in order from where the playoff series has started. So the first playoff series that started in the second round was uh, none other than uh, the um, Raptors going up against the 76ers. Uh, so um, two games in the series have already taken place, Vikram, and uh, the series is tied at one game apiece. Uh, Toronto was able to pull out game one with a uh, 108-95 victory. And um, it was basically the Kawhi Leonard show. He put up 45 points. Pascal Siakam put up 29. Uh, but uh, there weren't many, very many other contributors for the Raptors. And we all were thinking, if Kyle Lowry can only score nine points and the Raptors still win, 
what chance does Philly actually have to win this series? And it's still a very legitimate question, even if they won game two. But it was very much a worry uh, going into game two. But Philly, they came out with a lot of grit. They they mucked up the game. They they played great defense as, I mean, they're, with, the, with their lineup, the way it's structured. Um, they should be able to play good defense, especially in the playoffs. And they uh, won game two, 94-89. And uh, again, Kawhi Leonard had a great game, 35 points. But uh, and Kyle Lowry had a better game. He had 20 points, but um, Philly was able to find offense, uh, especially through um, Jimmy Butler. He had 30 points, especially uh, some very clutch uh, play in the fourth quarter of that game. And uh, they were even able to get um, really great, good minutes from James Ennis, got 13 points off the bench. And it was sort of a microcosm of what needs to happen for Philly in order to make this series competitive. So, um, Vikram, give me your thoughts about the series. And, uh, um, yeah, give me your thoughts about the series, really. So, I think, I don't think this is sustainable for Philly. I'll be honest. You know, it, it took a lot of clutch shots from Jimmy Butler. And it really took the Toronto Raptors completely falling apart uh, for them even be in this position. I just thought the offensive performance by Toronto in this game was just really lackluster. Outside of Kawhi Leonard, who was really positive in this game, right, with uh, with 35 points, shooting 54%. Now, granted, his three-point shooting wasn't great, but he had six assists in this game. That's that's amazing. For somebody who averaged two and a half during the season, that's frankly amazing. But you have to look down at the rest of the players on his team. Like Pascal Siakam shot nine for 25 they got nothing out of Marcus All, five points in four minutes. Uh, they got one for eight out of Danny Green, including that that backbreaker miss that he had in the final minutes of the game. I mean, you're just looking at like up and down this roster, and they only got five points out of their bench. So, I mean, you're looking at this and you're saying, wow, Toronto had a really, really poor game. And it took that for the 76ers to win by five. Now, on the Sixers side, so what concerns me uh, on the Sixers, is that they didn't really get a ton out of Tobias Harris. Joel Embiid looks hobbled. I think that's probably the biggest conclusion that uh, that I have is he does not look healthy. Granted, you know, he's fighting a stomach bug. His knees are hurt. I mean, anything you can conceivably think of, it, it's not going that well for him. So I think all of those factors put together, you know, rendered this this series somewhat interesting. I think we're gonna be uh, we're gonna be in for a, a fairly long series if both teams underperform the way they uh, they have so far uh, in this series. I think Philadelphia has got to do a better job of defending Kawhi Leonard. His efficiency was pretty good in this game. Uh, other than that, I was a little disappointed with Ben Simmons' performance in both of these games. I mean, in this game in particular, he had six points. This guy's an all star. You're telling me he can't do better than six points? I just think there's uh, there's going to have to be some changes there. Yeah, but the and, and, and you talk a lot about Kawhi Leonard, right? And, uh, and the thing is for is that Kawhi Leonard, he's a superstar, and he's he's very difficult to stop. I I think Philly, you know, making him a high volume shooter, low efficiency. Even even if he gets his, he gets his right, and that's and and that's the kind of type of player that he that he is. But like, if Philly can somehow like make him shoot the ball uh, more often than not, and uh, make him spend energy on the offensive end, that 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 is a victory in and of itself 
for for them but the question is even if he is a low efficiency player will philly have enough offense to be able to you know um uh, uh you know make a make a series out of the series well let me tell you this they got 23 points out of Greg Monroe and James Ennis. Oh, by the way, Greg Greg, now, Greg Monroe got injured in this game, so their center depth just took a huge hit, really. Dude, <laughs> welcome to Jonah Bolden. The Jonah Bolden show is coming. And Boban. And Boban. Well, you know, Boban is going to be really interesting against Toronto. I think uh, if Gasol's in the game, you can pick and pop him to death. And we'll talk about this a little bit more with the Bucks, uh, Bucks-Celtics series, but... This in particular, I didn't really like the shots that were being generated by uh, by Philadelphia or by excuse me by Toronto's offense in this case. So I just think that they're going to have to do much much better in order for this to even for the, for them to win the series A. But also like they should be rather comfortable in the series, and I'm I'm a little surprised that they're not. If that makes sense, like this should have been a pretty easy game, given the types of limitations that <clears throat> excuse me. Given the types of limitations that the uh, that the 76ers have in terms of their depth, I'm actually surprised it was as close. And the fact that the 76ers got a game at Toronto is is pretty sad for Toronto. I mean, do you agree with me in that respect? Like, this should have been a win for the Raptors. Uh, ab- for sure. Absolutely, we we have seen Toronto at their best at various points this season, and. They uh, are. They, I mean, they are the type of thing, team that should be able to take advantage of Philly's lack of offense in the sense that they should be running up the score on them. But that hasn't quite happened in, in the series yet. And and you're right. They should be able to generate more offense from other players other than Kawhi Leonard. Like, and I, I know that Pascal Siakam is very much contributing on this level, but I would expect Marcus Gasol to have a bigger series on offense. You know, not like 20 points, but like something like, you know, 10 to 15 points, you know, a couple of rebounds, a couple of pick and pop plays to, you know, draw out the big man in their offense, whether that big man is Joel Embiid or Boban Marjanovic. And that, uh, in uh, in effect, would open up uh, the offense for, for for other players on the court and of course Danny Green Danny Green needs to play better I mean like absolutely he's he's their main floor spacer and he's been there all season for them so it's only right that the Raptors uh, be able to depend on him now right Vikram yeah I I think the Danny Green thing you know he's gonna shoot better again like that's that's going to happen I think this is an uncharacteristically poor game for him but I think he'll be able to bounce back from this but without him you know, Toronto requires a lot of floor spacing, and, and most teams do, but especially for them, like, their starting lineup has five guys who can shoot the three. And looking at the numbers, they all shot very, very poorly from three. So, I mean, you're talking about six, seven, eight, eight for 17, 21, 20, for 33, eight for 33 on threes from their starting lineup. I mean, that's not going to get it done. It just really isn't. And whatever we say about Philly, their starting lineup is really dang good. So you really have to be able to take advantage of their bench, and they were not able to do that in this game. I think that's the biggest takeaway. If you're not beating Toronto, or if you're not beating Philadelphia during your, the bench minutes, you're losing this game. 
see, like, even if you're not beating Phil, uh, Philadelphia in their Benjamin, I mean, you should be. I mean, the Toronto Raptors should be absolutely blitzing the 76ers while their bench is on the court. Let's let's just be, be clear here. But even when the starters are on the court, I mean, given the type of situation that Joel Embiid is in, he's clearly not 100%. I mean, and we, I mean we, we talked about this at the Open. You highlighted it very beautifully. Joel Embiid is not at 100%. And when he's not at 100%, the Sixers are just not the same team. They're, they just are not. And that's when the Raptors are far and away the better team. And they sort of need to start playing like it. Uh, I, but I, I think the Raptors will figure it out once they go to Philly. And I, I got Raptors even... I got Raptors in five. I think they win the, the other games in this series. I think that... I, I do think that... Uh... I think that the 76ers pick up one more game. I do. I think uh, that they're Are they are they in the next two games? One of the one of the next two? One of the next two. I think they're pick up at least one of the next two. Okay. So you got Raptors in 6. Okay. I got Raptors in 6, correct. Right. I mean, I think they're still like overwhelming favorites in the series. Sure. And and I think had the Raptors won this game, you would have said Raptors in 5. Oh yeah, absolutely. Right. So, so with that, we we want to move on to our next series, and it's probably the most interesting series that's going on in the East, the closest series, and that is uh, the Celtics going up against the Bucks. So the Bucks, obviously, they were the number one seed, and uh, they had all this hype going into the series, especially the way they put the way they put away uh, Detroit. Obviously, Detroit, uh, we've we've talked about this ad nauseum. They were not the greatest playoff team ever, probably one of the worst playoff teams ever. But you know the way. The Bucks put them away. You thought that they would they would be like very much uh, ready for for the series at hand, and uh, the Celtics pretty much took it to them uh, on both the offensive and defensive end. I mean, Kyrie Irving played a great floor game uh, for for the Celtics. I believe he had twenty six points and eleven assists, seven rebounds. A great overall game for him, but really the bell cow of the Celtics on offense and on defense was Al Horford. And uh, on offense, he was able to run the pick and pop and put Brooke Lopez in a very uncomfortable situation guarding him. Uh, he was he ended up scoring 20 points. Got he and he had three three pointers, but he got a lot of pick and pop on twos as well. So that that was good for him. But it was also he was also able to stop or limit rather Giannis on on defense and Giannis he scored 22 points but it was on 7 of 21 shooting and when you can keep Giannis to be a low efficient a low efficiency player and all of a sudden uh, the other players on the court for the Bucks have to contribute more than they're expected to that's when you really put the Bucks in a bind and uh, the the Celtics were able to do that in game 1 now there was some talk, like, uh, I, I believe after Game 1, Paul Pierce came out and said that the series is over, as in the Celtics were going to win the series. And and that's an over-exaggeration, in my opinion, because, I mean, this is a playoff series, and teams are going to make adjustments, uh, well, whether it's a good, they're going to make adjustments to the lineup or the plays that they run, and I think the Bucks will eventually figure it out. And also, I, I think this is a make-or-miss league, and... Your play on the court is really determined very simply by whether whether you make or miss shots. So I think if Eric Bledsoe is able to hit a couple of threes, uh, Chris Middleton is able to pick up more of the slack. 
they're uh, off the bench, you know, Nikola Mirotic, Ursan Ilyasova, those guys are able to spread the floor. I mean, Ursan Ilyasova is 0 for 5. That's not going to happen. So the Bucks still have a, uh, have an opportunity to come back in the series. But Vikram, just give me the thoughts, give me your thoughts on how the Celtics came out and whether this changed your opinion on the Celtics and whether the Bucks uh, have a good shot at coming back. So what confused me was the Bucks looked really confused that Kyrie Irving and Al Horford were running pick and pop on them. And I've got to be honest, like that is the single most effective play against how Milwaukee plays defense. I think the reason the Celtics were up are, are up in the series and were able to put on a very good offensive performance was because their inherent style of play goes to exactly what the Bucks want to give up on defense. The Bucks are designed around the concept of let me give up mid-range shots, funnel to the rim, and, tr- and let you shoot your some of your three-pointers. I'm going to hedge back on the pick and roll. I'm going to drop Brooke Lopez in coverage. So what they're going to do is they're going to give up a ton of mid-range shots, and they're going to give up the pick and pop three. That's really bad against Al Horford, who went back to a little bit of his, of his Atlanta days and was just stroking those mid-range, you know, a foot or two inside the three-point arc types of shots. He's a great mid-range shooter. Kyrie Irving is a fantastic mid-range shooter. Jason Tatum is a great mid-range shooter. I mean, what the... the Gordon Milwaukee Hayward team. is not a bad mid-range shooter. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're talking about a team that's full of guys who want to shoot from the mid-range, and that schematically is awful for the Milwaukee Bucks. I think that's the main reason their defense looked really poor in this game. Uh, <clears throat> now, offensive sides, the, the Buck has to do a lot better, and they just were not able to produced at the offensive level that we would expect for this team. Uh, I do think one really big thing is they really didn't play any competition. Uh, I think that is actually a pretty big deal when you think about it. Uh, I I do think that's a a significant thing. Uh, Playing the Pistons in the first round was probably a disservice for uh, for the Bucs because they really didn't get acclimated to uh, they really didn't get acclimated to intense competition. So I think that did them a, a pretty large disservice offensively, they're going to have to do something a little bit more than let me try to go Giannis one-on-one against Horford because apparently Horford is the Giannis stopper. But, you know, I think Giannis is going to get his. The question is going to be, is there a way for, is there a way for Giannis to be productive while doing that while also getting other people involved? So that's uh, overall what I'd like see from him and by productive and by productive i'm sorry to interrupt you and by productive you mean like increases efficiency right i mean not only increase his efficiency for himself but also two assists for two turnovers is not great now understanding that Giannis is a good passer not a great passer and that's certainly true i still think he could have been more productive in this game uh in terms of his ability to pass the ball the celtics were very smart about how they defended him though and they're one of the few teams that have defenders that can make his life a little bit more difficult. And Horford plays very well against against these types of players. You've seen it with Bede. You've seen it with – now you're seeing it with Giannis. You're seeing all of these plays where he's very effective at what he does. So I think that's probably the biggest takeaway is hey, – so, so do you think in game two, let's just say, do you sure. think that they should – operate Giannis uh, like for, uh, out of the block 
other uh, versus uh, operating him from the top of the key because it seemed like he was oper he was operating from the top of the key for most of game one, and it ended up from in his shot getting blocked. He, I mean, his shot looking terrible. Multiple euro steps incre increased difficulty. Not able to get his teammates involved. You, you know, you know, you know what I'm saying. I, I, yeah. I, I, I think that they should really consider, you know, at least to start off game two, put him on the block, make life a little bit more easier for Giannis to create his own offense and create offense for others. So, I don't really know what putting him on the block is going to do for them because I don't think he's going to be able to post up Al Horford in any uh, in any meaningful way so i'm not sure that that's you know particularly productive uh with, with respects to that so I, I do agree with you that what they were doing is not working right now so i will say like definitely need to reimagine what their scheme looks like uh as particularly from offense uh, from the offensive perspective, I do think that the major issue that they had is like they got next to nothing out of Brook Lopez. Like if Brook Lopez is playing 25 minutes, he better give you more than three points. Uh, you know, they started Eric Bledsoe and he played 25 minutes, didn't do a whole lot. They had to play George Hill 24 minutes and he was more productive than Bledsoe. Like that's a really bad outcome for this team. Uh, the other thing that I would say is I think the Bucks really miss having Malcolm Brogdon. Yes. And I think that, that's a huge deal for this team. Uh, I think that actually is one of the major reasons why they're struggling on offense. Now, don't get me wrong. This team will go as far as Giannis can take them. But I do think not having some of these complementary pieces uh, can be pretty difficult for, uh, for this team. So, so I just think the Celtics roundly outplayed them uh, on both sides of the floor, and they have the personnel to make – the system for the Bucks difficult, both on offense and defense. Does this change uh, your opinion of the Celtics at all? I, I know that we've talked about the Celtics ad nauseum this year and how they have disappointed. Does this change your opinion? Have they flipped the proverbial switch? I mean, I think you'd have to say they did. I think that they look, they look really good. Uh, I think this is the team we expected them to be. And because of that, I mean, it has changed my opinion about them. I think they, they're playing up to their potential right now. And they even have a, a little bit more to go because Jason Tatum didn't have a great game. They can be even better. They can be even better. And, I mean, we, I mean, we talked about the depth of the Celtics going into the season. Uh, obviously, that didn't show up much during during the season. But, hey, it's showing up now. And uh, Gordon Hayward is playing well. That's That's a big deal. And all of a sudden, the the Celtics are, are hitting on all cylinders. Um, what's your prediction for the series now that you've seen Game One and how the Celtics came out? I mean, honestly, I'm not. I, I have no clue. I really do need to watch the second game to see what the Bucks, how the Bucks respond. If the Bucks are unable to respond and drop the second game, I, I think they might just lose in a sweep. Yeah, I mean, that's that's very much possible. I mean, you look at the spectrum of the series, it can go one way or the other, really. Like, if the Bucks like, make their shots, really, it's a, it's as simple as that. If they make their shots in game game two and uh, they make um, 
the 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 Celtics overextend themselves on defense. I mean, now now we're talking about a, a totally different series. And I mean, we see these series flip one way or the other in, in between games. That's the beauty of the playoffs. Teams make adjustments. Um, co- coaches make adjustments, and I mean, teams play better because of that. And and uh, like the narrative changes because of that. And I think that the the Bucks can very easily change the narrative here, but they need to they need to play better and uh, obviously play, ha- have a different strategy going into game two. No question about it. Um, Absolutely. But I think I still got Bucks in seven. I think this is yeah, a very good series. I would not be surprised if that is the outcome. I just really, really want to watch the next game. Depending on how they, uh, depending on how the Bucks respond, like I said, this might be a really quick series or it might be a really long series. But either way, I do think the Celtics have a set of players to make things challenging for uh, for the Bucks. So I mean, I think that's the biggest thing. And you might find this quote interesting. So they obviously they had the interviews today, and and Giannis pretty much came out and said that uh, adjustments. What adjustments? We we don't we don't need to make adjustments. Uh, we, we I mean we played the way we played all season, and uh, it has gotten us this far. And I mean I guess like you can either look at it. Oh, he he's confident, or he's cocky. And he doesn't know what, what what playoff basketball is all about, or they made adjustments, and he just doesn't want to, doesn't want to tell us. So I mean, I guess we'll find out game two, and it's it's going to be an extremely intriguing game two, as you've stated already, Vikram. So uh, yeah, we, I think okay. You have anything uh, else to say? The yeah. last thing I want to say is this game two is basically as close to a must win for the Bucks as, as possible. I, I think I think you're right. Game, I think it's uh, it's going to be all over for them. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, you you bring up a good point. I mean, the Celtics stealing two road games would would spell doom for the Bucks in in essence, like because not only did they steal uh, home court, they pretty much annexed it, right? So that's that's yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a good way to put it. That's that's that's, that's what it is. So uh, with that, we move on from the East. We go on to the West, and the first series that we want to talk about out West is probably the most interesting semifinals in these playoffs, and that is the. Uh, Rockets going up against the Warriors. So, uh, I mean, I say the most uh, interesting series is because um, we expected this to be a Western Conference final, and all of a sudden it's the Western Conference semis. It was the highly highest rated series in, in these in the playoffs so far. Uh, I don't know if it's because the first game was on ABC, but uh, obviously people are tuning into this because they they know that whoever wins this series is pretty much coming out of the West and is going to be a very formidable challenger to anyone who comes out of the East. But uh, yeah, I mean, game one uh, was a very interesting game on the court and off the court as well. I mean, on the court, we, I mean, I don't want to say this game was decided by the refs, but the refs played a huge part of the series, not because not, and it's not just because like both teams like to complain and uh, you know um, some foul calls happened that weren't called, and uh, a, a couple of things happened in the press conferences after that created questions about how the referees are refing the game, and we had this extreme discussion on social media as to whether James Harden was. Uh, flopping or whether he's selling the call too much or um whether that had an effect on how the refs are refing uh, or ref or um, calling james harden specifically but i mean i i can talk on and on about this series uh vikram like i mean just tell me like what were your thoughts on game one both on and off the court 
So <clears throat> let's start with uh, on the court because I do think that there are a couple important things that uh, that I saw that are you know that I think are worth talking about. Uh, the big thing that I saw from the Warriors side was that I actually think this is one of the worst games from an offensive perspective. Like they did not get a ton out of Clay. They didn't really get a great game out of Steph, except for that you know end of game spot. They had twenty turnovers. Yeah, they. I mean, their the beginning of the game was really really bad for them. They were they were shooting like close to sixty percent at some point, and the Rockets were shooting like thirty percent, and somehow were only down by two or three at some point. Uh, the Rockets got to the line a lot. The Warriors just couldn't. They had a lot of sloppy turnovers, a lot of dead ball turnovers. They didn't make a ton of sense. So I think that's one of the things that uh, that I would highlight. But I would say the one thing you're in trouble for with the Rockets is that so you got a a Clay performance that wasn't great. You got a Steph performance that wasn't particularly great, and you still somehow lost this game. Like this was a pretty winnable game for the for the Rockets. I think the fact that they didn't win it is pretty deflating for them. Uh, the other couple things that I would I would mention is the Rockets can't guard Kevin Durant. Uh, if P.J. Tucker is not the primary uh, defender on Kevin Durant, they have no shot at stopping him. Daniel House got torched. I mean, Shumpert got torched. They're just not big enough to defend him. And you know, if you're if you're letting KD get a steady diet of his of his shot, there's nothing you can do. So I would say from the basketball perspective. What the Warriors had going in terms of get Katie the ball and get the heck out the way, that was absolutely the right game plan in this game. So, I mean, we'll see what uh, what happens in the next couple of games, but I'm really uh, I'm going to be really entertained to watch uh, the next game as far as execution by the Warriors in their sets. The other thing I would say was uh, Draymond at the beginning of the game was very aggressive and I appreciated uh, watching him get you know a backdoor cut at the beginning of the game and then uh you know the first fadeaway jump shot I've seen in a while for it him. was a swish and I was shocked I was like I don't know I mean like did they draw I mean I, I certainly don't think that play was supposed to go for him uh on the rocket side I would say they took a lot of bad shots especially from three they did and, and they also they, did not get Capella involved enough yeah biggest exact exactly what i was going to say for the next thing uh clint capella was not involved in this game and they did not find a way to get him involved in this game and if that continues they're not going to win this series like they got great production i mean absolutely phenomenal production out of uh out of gordon and if you are getting that type of production from him and a pretty decent game from chris paul plus james harden doing his thing like, you have to be able to win that game. But that also requires you get something. And I mean, just a little bit out of your other players. So to me, that includes P.J. Tucker had zero points in this game. And you need him to give you something game to game in order to beat the Warriors. And I mean, uh, I think overall, like, that's the biggest, like, those are some of the big takeaways I had, uh, at least on the court uh, for this game. I think... I'm not really sure what the adjustments look like for uh, for either of these teams for the next game. Uh, I don't know that there's a whole heck of a lot D'Antoni can do. And I actually say the same thing for the Warriors. I don't think that there's a whole heck of a lot that they can do either. They just don't – like none of the – neither of these teams really has the personnel to do much more. 
So, I mean, I, I would say those are some of my conclusions. Yeah, like, and, I and, guess... I, and, I th- and I think you hit the nail on the head when you said that, hey, if, if we just do, either team could, could come out and say, hey, if we just did X, Y, and Z, we win this game by a, a, a comfortable margin, and the other team has to come and adjust to uh, adjust to us. And now neither team can say that, so they sort of have to go back and say, like, let's, let's run this back again, I guess, you know, and um, hopefully play, play better. But yeah, I think I think it's a good time to probably talk a little bit about the fouls and uh, how Golden State was defending Harden. So I think Harden had a point. And I think the Rockets have a point about the fouls on the, the in, encroaching in the landing zone of the shooter with some of Clay's fouls in the or non called fouls in the uh, in the first half. There's certainly a couple of plays where Clay was. I think pretty clearly getting in the landing zone of James Harden. Yes, he uh, was. He half. was. And I think that's a fair argument to say, like, oh, wait, you guys missed these calls. I would say in the second half, like, there was one by Chris Paul where he was really aggrieved about not getting the call. He literally threw his entire hip. He was, like, jackknifing into this guy, into Sean Livingston, and he was expecting a call. He, you're not going to get that call. That's, that's not a foul. Similarly, with James Harden at the end on Draymond Green, that's a foul. So, I mean, I think, like, overall, yes, there were some calls that were missed. What I would remark for the the Rockets and to other teams that have these complaints is, how many times do you think Steph Curry and Klay Thompson get fouled coming uh, going on their off-ball screens? How many times do you think they get grabbed and held and that doesn't get called? Like, you're not going to get every single call right in the game. And, and, and how many times was has really, Steph been fouled on a three-point shot similar to what Harden shot and not gotten the call, even during the season? I, I think that's true. Now, I will ha- I'll say this about the Rockets and about James Harden in particular. They have found ways to make the rules their friends. In, in the best, and I don't even mean any offense by that. If there's a rule and you can take advantage of it, you should take advantage of it. And, you know, I, I don't begrudge the Rockets that opportunity. That being said, when we know that's what your mo is, you lose a little bit of the uh, a little bit of this uh, of the factor of well, are they are they trying to make a basketball player? Or are they trying to play the system? And I think the Rockets and James Harden in particular have a tendency of trying to play the system. And again, nothing wrong with that, but I don't think you can complain when you don't get every call. And that being said, James Harden went to the line a lot last night. He just shot incredibly poorly otherwise and and that's not just him a lot of the the rest of that team also shot very poorly so i think there's got to be a little bit less complaining on the rocket side and just better basketball and better shooting for them yeah i think i mean you you stated everything like really well i just want to make one comment about the uh you know like landing the deep end defender landing in the area the shooter gets to land like that rule was implemented for player safety it was not implemented for you to get three free throws off of it i i just i i want to make that clear and uh for for the people out there you know on twitter and everywhere else kind of complaining about that i i would just i would just say that like that that's not a foul that you should be trying to egregiously draw it was a, a rule that was put in to protect players 
And that's definitely not a rule that you should be taking advantage of. Now, like James Harden going, you know, hooking Kevon Looney and getting him called for a foul. Um, you know, Curry sticking, like, sticking his hand up uh, his beard and James Harden, like, you know, sort of pumping. You know, that's just, like, that's gamesmanship. And you should expect that out of James Harden as well as Chris Paul. And, uh, I mean, I have I have nothing against it. You know, like, whatever advantage you, you can have on your team, you should try and take advantage of that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but... Uh, I, I I mean just like the landing in the space of the defender, uh, I, I will I'm I'm just gonna say that and and leave it at that. But it did not end there for the Rockets. Uh, after the game, uh, Sam Amick actually came out with an article, and um, it, this article is basically highlighting research that the Rockets had done. Uh, over the missed foul calls that they had uh, last year in the Western Conference Finals. And supposedly, they missed out on 94 points over the course of the Western Conference Finals. Now, would that have tipped the series? Absolutely. Having said that, that is just flawed research. I mean, I mean, it's flawed. It's biased. Any data analyst can come to you and, 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 and say that the report is very incomplete. And I think, Vikram, you would agree with me. So let me just put, let me, let me break this down a little bit because I think it's important. This is pretty simple. Like, yes, okay, maybe there were X number of missed calls for the Rockets. But what that report doesn't tell you is how many missed calls there were for the Warriors. You're not doing an apples-to-apples comparison. Because I guarantee you there are a lot of missed calls for the Warriors, too. And so the idea that, oh, the refs favored the, the Warriors in this series. Maybe, maybe not. I don't have the data to even make that conclusion. All I know is the Warriors or the, uh, the Rockets found plays where they were, where missed calls were missed. Calls are missed every single game. I, I just don't have enough data to tell you either way. And I, I think that's a big, that's a big problem with this report. So, I mean, that's the reality of the situation. The other thing is reputation really matters. And James Harden has a tendency to flop. He has a tendency of putting, doing things to put himself in position to just draw fouls, not really trying to make shots. And sometimes you're not going to get the call, especially in the playoffs. And I, I will say that the, the the referees of the NBA do a great job, but they've consistently said we try to ref the playoffs the same as we try to ref the regular season. And I think that's absolutely patently false. And that that I think I just don't think you can say that with a straight face. I I think they do allow more physicality in the playoffs. Just be, just because of the stakes involved, and uh, also they they tend to not call fouls in the playoffs because they don't want their reputations at stake. A, a call that, that is not, I mean, a foul that is not called is better than a foul that is called and affects affects the game um, from a scoreboard a standpoint, point. right? Yeah, I'm not sure how much I agree with that. I think like a missed call can break your can break your rep. I think a made uh, a call that's not legit can break your rep. I think a lot of that's true. Uh, I just think that it's a really hard job, and these are a lot of bang bang plays. But yeah, I, I, this I, absolutely, I agree, I agree with that, and and I and, think, and that's why I, I sort of try to make the point that are the refs trying to be more cautious in the playoffs? Maybe so. I just think. Ultimately, it's on these teams to play ball to the best of their ability and not worry about like the refs didn't make the Rockets shoot 14 for 47 from three. Like that's that's the reality that 
that's not on the refs. Like at some point you just got to play better basketball and you know, the Warriors and same thing with the Warriors. Like they have to play better basketball than they did to, um, that they did last night. Like they didn't play the greatest game. I actually think the war or the, uh, the Rockets lost an opportunity in this game because I don't know that the Warriors are going to play as poorly as they did the next time around. Well, if you, if you watch the Warriors in the playoffs, especially at home, you don't know what team you're going to get. Excuse yeah, me. Yeah, they're they're definitely better on the road right now. Right, and uh, and with that we we move on. So um so the next series, the last series that we're going to talk about is uh, the Trailblazers going up against the the Nuggets. So they just played their first game today. Uh, the Nuggets won uh, the game one twenty one one thirteen. A very offensively minded series. I mean, given the, the types of players they have on the floor. Uh, very offensive-minded players, and you could also say lack of defense as well. Uh, but um, Portland had a pretty amazing round one, especially, I mean, led by Damian Lillard, who continued to have um, the type of production that he was having in round one in game one of this series. He had 39 points, 12-21 shooting. Now, I mean, not bad from an efficiency standpoint, but... Uh, the Nuggets were very much able to take advantage of uh, the fact that they start started Cantor at center. And by the way, Ennis Cantor had an amazing game on offense as well. He had 26 points. But uh, Nikola Jokic, he's going to be the X factor in this series. And it's just because uh, of, of the way he's going to affect the game, uh, put, put Cantor in uncomfortable situations, either guarding him or having to help. Off of the um, help off of him on three point shooters, and yeah, I think the Blazers are going to find difficulty guarding the three point shot more so than they had in uh, I mean in the OKC series, uh, and um, I think that it's because of that the Nuggets are going to have the upper hand, but the Blazers can score with any other team, and. Um, that's pretty much my thoughts on these on the series, uh, Vikram. Uh, I mean, what do you what do you, what were your thoughts on the game and on the series in general? So I actually thought the one of the biggest things that I saw was Paul Millsap played really really well in this yeah, game. Yeah, he did. He did. He was efficient. He was great on defense. He was in the right spot, supporting the team. I think he's probably the bellwether for this series. I think if he plays well, then the Nuggets are going to be really really hard to beat. Uh, Jokic is going to eat in this series. Cantor can't defend him. The other bigs for Portland cannot defend him. So I, I just don't – I don't think that Portland is going to be able to slow Denver down. So they're just going to have to score more than the Nuggets are. And, you know, Lillard had a great game. You know, he was basically unguardable by Denver. I don't think that Denver really has the personnel to defend Lillard particularly well. Mm-hmm. So I think that was a big deal. Uh, I think they're going to need if, – if the Trailblazers want to win this series, they're going to need more out of McCollum than 7 for 17 mm-hmm. and 2 for 7 from 3. I think that's the biggest thing. They're going to need offensive performances from Dame and CJ every single game with complementary scoring from Al Farouk Aminu and Ennis Cantor and something from their bench. They got 17 points out of Rodney Hood. I just want uh, to say that because I, I haven't seen that kind of Rodney Hood stat line in a long time. He had 17 points in 17 minutes. That's pretty damn good. I I think when you tell Rodney Hood to just like go out there and, and score, that's that's when he's at his best, and that that's the role that the Blazers have put him in, and he's he's done very well. Like the Blazers bench is probably the best bench in the playoffs, I think. And uh, uh, I think the Celtics are better. Oh, I mean, uh, 
I think it's close. I don't think it's close, dude. I don't think it's close okay, at all. Okay, who's on the Celtics bench? Let's let's go over it right now. Okay. I'm just saying, like, you're talking about Rodney Hood, Seth Curry, Myers Leonard, Zach Collins, and Evan Turner. I think they're good complementary pieces. Now, obviously, like, that, and I wanted to go into that because at the beginning of the second quarter, I think uh, Terry Stotts put out the all-bench lineup out there, and I think that's got to stop. Because I think I don't think you can have that in the playoffs. I mean, either McCollum or Lillard should be on the court at all times because uh, it's hard to it's it's hard to trust an all bench lineup out there, regardless of what kind of bench it is in the playoffs. Absolutely, I think that's totally and completely true. Uh, I think I will say Zach Collins played pretty like when I watched him in this game tonight. His 19 minutes were good. There are plus four in those minutes, but I thought he looked – he defended well. He was active. I think he looked really good. I think they need more out of Seth Curry. Uh, honestly, they played their bench a, a fair amount of minutes, and I don't think they got great return out of that. Uh, on the flip side, for Denver, I thought they played Mason Plumley a lot of minutes. Played him. 24 minutes in this game and i don't know if that's what you want to do for the entire series he, he, he was a he was a big factor on defense i would i would say that i mean he played really well don't get me wrong i i just think a steady diet of Plumley is not your best bet hmm. uh i'm really i'm really liking the move that malone made to move uh will barton to the bench i think tory craig fits a little better in this lineup right now, even though you're giving some offensive firepower up for uh, for defense with this move. But I think it's an effective one for the Nuggets. But ultimately, this series is going to be how far can Jokic take you? Because uh, if Jokic can, can score the way he scored tonight, I don't think that the Nuggets are going to lose this series. And I, I think Jokic can score the way he scored tonight just because of his matchup. And you, you brought up Millsap, and that's that's a really good point because he's going up against Al Farouk Aminu. So that, that, is a, that is a matchup that Millsap should be able to dominate and uh, like play at a high level at. So that's a, that's a good point brought up by you. Jamal Murray also had 23 points in this game. So I... I mean, yeah. Jamal Murray looked great in he this did. game. He did. And he, he's been up and down throughout these playoffs. But when he plays well, the Nuggets usually win. So that's usually a good barometer of where, where the Nuggets are at as a team. But Yeah, uh, he's certainly the bellwether for that team. Yeah. You know, if he's efficient, Jamal Murray is excellent. And, he, you know, he shot over 50% tonight uh, from three and from the field. So, you know, that's that's pretty impressive. He had eight assists. He was doing a lot of good stuff against only one turnover. So overall, he and Jokic, he was uh, he was a plus eighteen. Jokic was a plus sixteen in this game. Hmm. Uh, that's basically that's basically what it is. But I do think the Nuggets have to be a little concerned about the performance of their bench, outside of Malik Beasley, who was who was positive. The rest of their bench was pretty negative. Yeah, uh, so Monte that, Monte Morris did not have a good game today. I'll, I'll say that he looked he looked off. Yeah, yeah. definitely looked off. I can't. I don't really have a good explanation for why he was off, but. He definitely looked. Uh, he he looked like something was. He just looks out there a little bit. Yeah, I, I think not, I think both of these teams are 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 pretty closely matched in terms of like you know level of play. Uh, I think um, 
the uh, Blazers have the best player in the series in Damian Lillard, but only by a slight margin over Jokic. I think this is a series that very easily uh, the home team wins every time and the Nuggets win in seven. I think yeah. I, I think I can see yeah. that very much happening. Yeah, I also think because that I, I don't see good ways for either of these teams to really play defense on one another. Exactly. And so I certainly agree with your basic premise that the home team is probably going to win every time. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, now because of that, Nuggets in seven, and uh, you know uh, they if they get, I mean I, I guess it's pretty easy to presume that the lo- the winner of the series goes goes on to lose in the in the in the Western Conference Finals, whichever team they face. But um, just just give me your thoughts on how Portland has performed in the in these playoffs. I think. A, a fair amount of predictions came in that uh, they were going to lose in the first round, but the way they handled the first round and are coming into this series uh, gives you reason to th- think positively about Portland going into the future. Uh, I think uh, one guy uh, I don't want, I don't want really want I don't really want to quote TNT, but I think I mean Charles Barkley said that um, the Trailblazers are going to the finals, and I I mean I do not believe that even with Nurkic. Uh, that the Blazers would would be going all all that way, but just uh, tell me about the, about the Blazers and what what you think of them as a team. So I've been really impressed with what they've been able to get. Like what they got out of their bench this year was really impressive to me. Like I think Seth Curry has been absolutely phenomenal for them uh, this year, and he was found money. I remember people saying, "Oh, his career's over. He's not going to be that good." You know, with with all of those issues uh, with injury issues last year, and they've gotten great minutes out of him I think that they've done a good job with people like Rodney Hood I I'm still not a fan of Evan Turner and he you know he's been kind of taken out of this rotation as much you only play 10 minutes tonight but I think they have a little bit of potential with Zach Collins and Myers Leonard and uh that's that's a good sign Al Farouk Amino is solid Marie, uh, Mo Harkless is really solid too I think they have the makings of a, of a good team I just think they need some help to make it to the highest level. Now, Nurk- the Nurkic injury is obviously devastating for them, but you know, I think that their future is fairly bright. I don't, I don't know that it's, I don't know that they're ever going to be more than what they are right now, given their cap situation and given the players that they have on this roster. So, and I'm given not the sh- Nurkic injury, yeah, and I mean, I'm, I'm assuming Nurkic will probably come back fine. Because his injury was a bone break, and those tend to heal pretty well. Hmm. So, from that, like as gruesome as the compound fracture is, as long as you set the fracture, you know it heals. It's not a. Uh, it's definitely not a an injury like a torn ACL or MCL or patella tendon or a ruptured Achilles, where your athleticism is greatly diminished as a result of said injury. Like, yeah, there's rehab time. Yeah, there's muscle atrophy. Yeah, all that kind of stuff. But that's not – it's not the same type of injury. So I actually expect Nurkic to be uh, fine in the future. So I'm not too worried about that. I just – I don't know how far a backcourt of Dame and CJ can take you at the highest level, especially on the defensive end. And I'm really curious to see that more uh, as they get further and further into the playoffs. So I, I guess that's my 
my real take with where Portland is and, and will be in the future. Uh, absolutely. And I think, um, so I, I just want to go on a little segue a bit. Like last week we were discussing like, you know, who was the MVP of the playoffs, who was the LVP, uh, LVP being least valuable player. And I think we were having issues coming up with the LVP. I think it's very clear right now that the LVP of the playoffs is Russell Westbrook. No, not only, oh, yeah. what, what, what's up? I said, oh, yeah. Yeah. And I do not know how we did not come up with that last weekend. But uh, I just wanted to put that out there. Not only the LVP on the court, but off the court as well. Like, creating a distraction. Like, why would you do that, right? Just answer the questions. Don't, you know, create a scene for yourself. And, like, have your have your PR department come and answer for you. And create a, create a distraction for your team. I don't, I don't think it's necessary. And uh, I think that's a, a big reason why the 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 thunder were not able to even come back in that series well ultimately russell westbrook has to expand his game he's clearly lost a step from an athletic perspective uh if he wants to make continue to be relevant in the league he's gonna have to you know kind of jason kidd it right like get a jump shot like he's easy to defend or easier to defend than in the past because he's not as athletic and be we don't fear his jump shot at all. So I think they're going to have to do some significant tinkering. Uh, the problem for the Thunder is they're, they're basically limited by the cap in terms of what they can do. So I'm not, I'm not even sure where they go from here. I just don't think that this team is ever going to be more than uh, you know first-round exit. Uh, I, I, I think you're on to something when you say that. So uh, with that, like we've talked about all the second-round series is uh, hopefully they they shape up shape up to be as entertaining as you know the opening games have been, and uh, you know hopefully we'll be back more often to talk. You know, it's just, I mean we apologize we're we're pretty busy back here. We wanna we wanna do an episode every weekend, but sometimes sometimes it doesn't work out. So you know we make some weekdays work. And uh, Vikram, I'm glad you were able to join me for uh, tonight's episode, and uh, hopefully the people enjoy it, and hopefully we'll be back for more. Absolutely, I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, so uh, with, uh, with that, for Vikram, I'm Guru. Uh, we'll talk to you guys soon.